This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The best is yet to come. All right, everybody. What is going on? How you doing? What's up? Episode 251, future award-winning Talk About Full podcast. Thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really does mean a lot to me. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to waste any time here at the top. Dick it around. I'm going to get right into it. I got my man Aaron Quinn on with me today. And Aaron, of course, is the co-host of the Cover One podcast, along with our buddy Greg Thompson. Does a great job. And... Looking at the stats here, Aaron, and this is the first time, dude, you've been on this podcast since before Christmas, man. Going I got all the way back to episode yeah. 179, dude. You haven't been on in more than just a minute. What up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you you bringing me back on. But yeah, no, it's been it's been a while. And uh, even on my own podcast, I just got back into it two episodes back in. And that's something we could talk about here. But yeah, it took a little sabbatical and get, trying to get my legs underneath me on the podcasting thing again. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, you're a regular, even though you haven't been on in like eight freaking months, you're still a regular to me, man. You've done the show. I, I had to look it up 16 times. You and I have been uh, on this podcast, wrapping it up here together. Now we're going to discuss a bunch of things. Obviously, we're going to talk about flow bills. I do want to have a talk about social media and Twitter as well. but. I got to be, I got to start this podcast with a little bit of a two to my own horn, a little bit of a pat on my own back here, a proud dad moment. Just not long before we started taping this. So we're taping this Sunday night, dropping this Tuesday morning. Uh, my son just got his first official college scholarship offer today on Sunday. And uh, I'm excited. Damn, <laughs> so if I, don't bring, if I don't bring that shit up now, you know how I am with sports and stuff. I'm not going to be able to focus on our conversation. I don't get that off my chest right now. Allegheny College is a smaller program in uh in Medville, Pennsylvania. It's about two hours or so south of Buffalo. They offered him today. I've had tons of conversations. I don't want to say what schools, but uh, a bunch of smaller schools, whether the D2, D3, NAIA schools, some JUCO, they've been checking in. Uh, the season will happen in Florida. In fact, his uh, first game is less than two weeks from now. But to get that first offer, dude, you know, you watch your kid grow up playing football as a six-year-old in Little Loop. And, you know, I'm sure everyone out there who has children who play sports, they don't have to be football, it can be whatever sport. You, you always dream of that kid growing up and being good and getting an offer to go play wherever at school. So that happened for me today. The first one, God willing, there'll be others. He'll get an opportunity to evaluate and, you know, make a good decision. But, dude, what a feeling that is, brother. Yeah, man, I'm actually really excited for you. I saw you you put that out on on the Facebook, and I saw that, and uh, very happy for you. When I was on Twitter, I, I had seen some of your kids' stuff uh, from posts you made. I mean, hardworking kid, definitely deserves those offers, and I, I think it's so cool. I have a friend too that their kids got uh, lacrosse scholarships. Again, small schools, 
but they got mm-hmm. lacrosse scholarships and there's nothing cooler than all that hard work that goes in. And it's the whole family that puts in, puts in work for these, sure. these types of athletes. And uh, for that to be rewarded uh, with an education and a possibility of education is a, a phenomenal thing. So congrats to him and congrats to you. And I, I do hope you guys get a bunch more because I know, I know the work that's been put in and those sacrifices that go into having a kid that's that involved in sports. And uh, it's a real sacrifice and it's a selfless thing. And I think that's a really cool thing. And, and you should be proud of all that, man. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. Thank you. And I'll tell you, dude, as somebody who covered high school sports in Buffalo for many years, I covered high school football for a long time in Buffalo. I've been down here in Florida. This will be the fifth season. I've watched a lot of kids, and I mean a lot of kids, sign with big programs. So they get recruited and D1 schools get in the mix. Instead of making responsible, sensible decisions that are based on education and also more importantly, opportunity. Well, I don't want to say more importantly. It makes me sound like I don't give a shit about education. I do. But an opportunity to actually play inside the program, get on the field. I see so many of these kids, dude, that they get that, they go for the biggest offer they can get. And on that day, it's awesome. And they had that cap on and their family standing behind the cool them. And they're in the, yeah. Yep. They're in the school gymnasium and they signed that offer. And that's awesome. What a great moment. People dream of that moment. And then you know what? That kid goes to LSU or Ohio State or Georgia or wherever, and they're eighth on the depth chart. <laughs> the 90-man roster, they're like the eighth running back. They were the king of the world in, in high school, and then they're the eighth running back on the depth chart. And they're lucky if they see the field for three years yeah. before they even get an opportunity. That's the way it is with a lot of these kids. And I, I tell them all the time, I said, go where you could play. Don't go to a D1. You might get a D1 offer. That don't mean, don't go to play at a D1 school unless you're a D1 level player and you're going to play. Yeah. Like I t- I've been telling my son this and I've known, again, covering the sport, his height, he's, he's about 5'10". So I know that prototypically they want six feet or taller for D1 linebackers. So I pretty much have resigned myself to the fact that he's going to go to a smaller college. And I'm sure a lot of parents, again, who have kids who, you know, maybe their kids too short or they're not big enough or whatever. They go to smaller schools and I've been good with that because my attitude and I tell my son this all the time, dude, go where you're going to play. You know what I'm saying? Go where you're going to get an opportunity. Maybe as a sophomore to be a starter, you go yep. to a big school. And again, down here, this is D1 university and most schools down here. They all go to D1 schools, big schools. And then a lot of these kids, man, they get buried on the depth chart. I have no couple of kids who were in my son's program. When I first got down here, they signed, I don't want to say what kids or what schools, but long story short. They go to these big schools and two years later, they're back at D2 or they're in JUCO or they're not even playing football at all anymore. So yeah. And that system will spit you right out. Getting in the transfer protocols, difficult. Not everybody is able to transfer. Uh, You go take a step backwards to JUCO that really decreases your odds of getting back into a big program. It's making that initial decision is a, is a big thing for a lot of these kids and if they don't make the right decision man this system doesn't wait too long for you to get back there's just too much talent out there uh and, and too many options so you really have to make the right decision and, and really make a name for yourself and that's a hard thing to do it is and again i'm going to wrap up my proud daddy moment here but i will say people listening if you do have children no matter what sport it to be football being any sport if you got a a prospect just go to that process with them and make sure that the school is a good fit yeah. And where their talent is, they're going to get an opportunity to play. Because a lot of us, like I said, we make those uh, long decisions because we want to have that big name school. Anyway, look, you intrigue me, okay? You're in action or action, I, I, I don't know which way to say it, in 2020 has really 
intrigued me. And I had Greg, your partner from the Cover One podcast on a couple weeks ago. And I think we talked about it off air. So I didn't know if I wanted to bring it up on air. Yeah. I was like, where's Aaron? <laughs> like, where's my guy? Where's Aaron Quinn? I don't know where this dude is. And he told me that you were taking a sabbatical. Well, let's just use that word from Twitter. Yeah. And I say it that it intrigues me because you're a podcaster of sorts. And I mean, you do a podcast during the season, you and Greg and it's a phenomenal podcast. So you understand the importance in ways of being on social media. And in this case, we're talking Twitter here, but at the same token, it's taken a, a chunk out of you. You know what I'm saying? Maybe yep. mentally and, and emotionally and, you know, prioritizing life and, you know, consuming our time. So what led to your decision? At least I don't want to say for good because who knows, but for sure. now you've taken, well, again, we'll use the word sabbatical, a lengthy one at that. You've been gone for quite a while on Twitter. What led to that decision? Like, what was that process for you? Again, knowing that in some ways it does help you promote your brand, but it, there's a lot of bad, negative things that come with being on social media as well. So kind of talk about that a little bit, that process of what ultimately made you decide that, yo, this shit ain't for me right now. Yeah, for sure. I think it was a longer process than I thought when I really pulled back and looked. It was a very personal thing for me, uh, but I'm happy to talk about it. During the season, I got a text from a friend. It was uh, right around October last year. I got a text from a friend while I was live. We do a live show, uh, cover one in Buffalo, and got a text of a good friend of mine that I don't talk to all the time, but he said, you got to call me immediately. And He called me first. I missed the call and that text me, you got to call me immediately. Our very best friend passed away. Young guy, 35 years old, passed away sort of unexpectedly. He had some health issues, but he, he passed away. And that was tough. Went, did, dealt with that, came back, kept going, doing the show. I got two small kids, so I just kind of kept chugging along and didn't really fully get over that. And then, so the season wrapped up, it ended, and I talked to Eric and Greg, and I said, you know what, guys, I, I think I blew through this season. I think I need to take a little bit of a break from the show. I'll still be on Twitter. I'll still engage, but I'm going to take a little break from doing the show here for a couple weeks this off season and just kind of catch my breath. COVID happens all this, the, the protests and the social unrest and all this stuff happens. And if you followed me on Twitter, you know that I can't help myself from engaging in things that I'm passionate about. And some of those blur the lines of sports and get into some of the political stuff and get into, you know, mm -hmm. some of the stuff that was happening with COVID and, uh, weeks and weeks of that with all the other stuff in my personal life that I was trying to get over the toxic level that it was given me became totally unenjoyable. Uh, where for years I had some of the toxic, you know, arguments with Bills fans, arguments over political stuff. There was some of that, but I generally enjoyed Twitter. You know, even some of the the tough arguments, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun for me. The engagement was fun. I loved doing the podcast and getting good feedback and engaging with people on that. I was very proud. I built up a pretty good following, not a big gigantic following, but I had some whatever, 5,000, 6,000 followers and mm -hmm. uh, pretty engaged when I would post stuff, I would get good engagement. So it was hard for me to walk away from that. It was something I was proud of. And so I'd been thinking about leaving it, the platform for a while. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'm spending too much time on here. I'll delete it from my phone. I kept going back to it. I kept putting it back on my phone because I would put out a take and then I would want to see the response. You know, I want to mm -hmm. see if people are responding. I want to engage with these people. So I was putting it back on my phone. 
a week or two of doing that, I really had to look at myself and I said, man, this is like a drug. Like I've quit. I used to smoke cigarettes. I quit smoking cigarettes. Very hard to do. Uh, I, I used to be a marijuana smoker, quit smoking marijuana. Again, pretty hard to do. Twitter had that same type of challenge for me in the drugs. And once I kind of realized that, I said, man, I need to pull away from this because it is a drug in my life and it's keeping me from being present in a lot of things and all that stuff. So I, I made the decision. I, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I, I wanted to reach out to more people, but I didn't want it to be a dramatic thing. I didn't want to put Understood. a post out there that said, oh, I'm leaving Twitter and try to get it make it look like I was looking for attention by leaving just kind of slid out the back door. Um, and over time I found ways to reach out to you and, and, and find other people. And I felt bad for Greg cause I think he got a lot of the uh, DMS and messages about where I went, why I went. Uh, but it was really just, man, I needed world got crazy. My head was spinning um, in, in a personal sense. And I needed to pull away and, and do some internal reflection and, kind of find out where I'm at. You know, I'm a 30, 36 year old guy, two kids, and you spend more time doing some of that stuff and engaging less with total strangers that are just looking to make my day totally miserable. And I was letting them get the best of me. So uh, I'm living a great uh, life as far as my energy and my day to day. I'm much more engaged in, in my life here at home um, and still able to keep up with the bill stuff. We have the Slack channel. I have the Bleacher Report app. So I see some Twitter from, you know, the beat guys. I talk to guys like you and Greg. So I'm still able to keep all the the bills news and all that, but definitely in a better spot. I miss Twitter. I, I think I've told you a few times, you know, there there is still that part of that addiction uh, of social media that wants to pull me back. But I know it's just a toxic wasteland. Greg will send me tweets every once in a while. We have a new segment on our show, The Worst Thing I Missed on Twitter. And it, it's a constant reminder that I don't want to be back there, man. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I think personally, your level of engagement was a blessing and a curse. Yeah. It was fun because you always would engage with somebody, for better or worse. Yeah. And you said it yourself. And sometimes it was for the worse. And um, one thing I've always liked about you, in fact, I've talked to a couple people about this on the side, not on the air, but one thing I've always liked about you is I've noticed that so many people, when it comes to the Buffalo sports media, a lot of people, everybody's nice to each other. And that's cool. Every, I, oh, shit. I wish it was more of that going on, but nobody calls anybody out when they don't agree with them. Yeah. It, w- respectfully, you always, since I've known you, if you're not afraid to disagree with Sal Capaccio, I'm just using him as an example because that's sure. the one that popped in my head. If, if you think he's wrong, you're going to say that. Now, I'm, you're not looking to get in a fight. You know what I mean? But you're yep. looking to engage and disagree. Uh, Nate Gary, I know it's one of, your, one of your buddies. Same deal with him. You'll, you'll disagree with him. I've seen it many times. You and yep. I have disagreed. You know, it's kind of funny. And I, I do remember this. I've had a kind of a, a love-hate relationship with you. I didn't, I didn't like you on Twitter when I first met you, man, yeah. because, because of that reason. But I, as I obviously, as I got to know you and stuff, I'm like, just an engaging dude. And I, and I really respect that about you. Now, I think that a lot of people, so let's take some people who might say, let's just be critical here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, f- fuck it. Aaron's a pussy, man. Oh, fucking Twitter. I think a lot of these people, and I'm going to include myself, don't understand and realize how difficult and addicting, I shouldn't say difficult, how addicting this shit is. Yeah. You know, I catch myself more and more recently, Aaron, I'll be having dinner with my wife or uh, hanging out with my son and we're watching something on TV or we're just sitting around at the table, whatever it may be, always on our phones. 
mm-hmm. always, always on our phones, barely any conversation anymore. And I'm, look, I am as guilty literally as anybody. I feel like I'm going to miss something if I'm not on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? I'm always yep. checking because the one thing that is great about Twitter is you can find shit out instantly. Yeah. You know, if a player gets cut, gets hurt, you want to know a score, any news, anything that happens anywhere, you find it out literally in seconds, or maybe your buddy, in fact, this happens all the time. I can't think of it specifically, but somebody, there was some fake news, sports news, and instinctually, whenever I hear somebody says, is this true? The first thing I do is go on Twitter and I type in that name because if it's authentic, Adam Schefter and the beat guys or whoever locally are going to be talking about it within seconds. So it's hard. You feel like, do you feel like even right now, like, you know, taking Twitter sabbaticals that you feel like you're missing something at times? Now, I know you said that on the Slack channel and Bleacher Report and other stuff, you still get your news for the most part. But do you struggle sometimes feeling like, you know, you're missing shit by not being on Twitter? Maybe you don't, but that's the way I feel when I go or even try to go any extended period of time without having it. Yeah, well, first I want to I want to talk about I agree with you and the criticism of the engagement on Twitter that I know who I was, you know, to anybody out there who had a bad experience with me that's listening to this. I know who I am and who I was online. And that is a little bit who I am in person. Like I, I am willing to disagree with you. I disagree with my wife all the time. I disagree with my family and I'm a passionate guy and I will disagree passionately with you. But I think the people that got to know me. I disagreed with Sal a ton, but Sal and I in DMs, we have a very good relationship mm-hmm. of being able to talk. I think even a, a good example of this would be Joe, uh, Buffalo Wins, You're, you have a, another guy that's a guest. We had a pretty tough relationship on Twitter. I'm sure you had to hear about it for years, but oh, I yeah. think right before I left, I think if you would ask him, he would uh, be missing me on Twitter. I think we got to come to an understanding of why yeah, we're each absolutely. so abrasive in different ways. Yep. And uh, I think if more people were able to connect outside of the argument, you know, have those arguments and then understand why those arguments are happening and not take them personally. Um, you, you would understand that maybe most people aren't the pricks that you think they are. Um, but a lot of it's ego driven. I know I have a, a huge ego uh, and that was part of the addiction of Twitter is that ego. You put something out there, you want to see people like it. you want to see people agree with you and engage with you. And uh, something I got into in this kind of personal search was Taoism quite a bit and finding out, you know, who you are and living in, in within that who, yourself. And I don't know that my ego can handle what social media does to, to people that have kind of egos and that can be sensitive to, uh, you know, being told you're wrong or things like that. So just to kind of clear the air, I know who I am. And, you know, if, if you had a bad experience with me, I apologize, but you probably were wrong about something. And maybe no, I wasn't sure right, I was. but you were, you were also wrong and I was going to let you know about it. And also, um, I could be a dick too. <laughs> yeah, so it's just the way it can, works. Man. I get it. Yeah, we all can. And I'm a little brother. I'm used to uh, years of punishment from a even more of a jerk than I am. Uh, so it, it was bred into me. But as far as the missing out thing, yeah, for sure. Dude. Like cut down day was pretty tough for me. Uh, I was still quite a bit on my phone and not as present as I want to be in my real life because I was on our Slack channel and checking the Bleacher Report app and seeing for news to come out. I you know, I was talking to you on Facebook about on Facebook Messenger about Trent Murphy. I was pounding mm-hmm. the table for Trent Murphy on our podcast. And mm-hmm. even though I'm not on Twitter, I was worried that that take would be a bad take on on our podcast be, if he got cut. Or And then when I saw Daryl Johnson, you know, the the people on the Slack channel were saying, oh, Daryl Johnson made it, got real worried for a couple hours here that Trent Murphy's not going to make the team. So 
you definitely still, the urge is there, man. It never goes away. Um, I don't know if it's, again, not to toot my horn, quitting cigarettes is a really hard thing. I was able to do that. I have a little bit of self-discipline to stay, stay away from things. I hope that I can continue here to stay away from this because it does bring out the worst in me. And while I am a bit abrasive naturally, Twitter brings out that out to a, a different extent. And I don't like that over time. I didn't like who I was uh, becoming and, and ha- feeling like I had to keep that up. I completely agree. And by the way, for the record, quitting smoking is hard as hell. I've done it too. I quit smoking in 2012. So I've been <sighs> almost eight years. And bro, I was smoking a pack and a half to two packs a day. Same. Now, yep. I didn't exactly decide that, hey, you know what? I want to quit smoking. I literally went into Buffalo. It wasn't Buffalo. It was South Buffalo Sisters Hospital and couldn't fucking breathe, man. I was like, I had got diagnosed with COPD and I immediately quit smoking. But yeah, you're right. It's very hard to do. And you just talked about having respectful arguments. Like me and you, I'm sure if I won and dug up past tweets from a couple of years ago, whatever, we disagreed about shit. Like you said, you and Sal, you and Nate whoever it may be, but there's still that level of respect. And what I hate about Twitter, what I've come to hate about it is there's so many instances where people who don't have any respect, more times than not, it's not even a person's name. It's some kind of stupid Twitter handle. They don't even put a name to it and they get nasty and they get personal. And I don't care. You could say that you had the thickest skin and no, no, nothing bother you. That's bullshit. I think everybody out there to some extent it's a little butt hurt when people criticize their work. You know, if somebody, yeah. you and Greg do a podcast, and obviously I love your podcast. It's a very big, I love talking to you. That's why you're on my show as often as you are. But not everyone loves you. And I'm sure some people out there are going to be assholes about it. You know what I mean? It's absolutely to not let that get to you. As much as you don't want it to, it does bother you. And I've come, here's the, the biggest thing with me now with Twitter. Why well, I wish I could be in your position. Right now, I wish I could get myself to that place. I've become, for the first time ever, afraid. And by that, I mean, look, I am by no means a celebrity. I'm by no means popular or anything like that. But I've built up enough of a name for myself through, frankly, hard work, man, over the last couple of years that I'm afraid to say one wrong thing because these people who follow you on Twitter, who download your shows, and I'm about saying this for everybody, man, I am so grateful to every single person, just so we're clear, that likes me, that follows me, that listens to my show, I appreciate everybody, but they can't wait to break you down. They can't wait for you to fuck up and do something. We've seen it plenty of times, man. Somebody puts out a statement, a wrong tweet, that's a wrap. Yeah. You know, they, they they want to get rid of your ass. They want to tear you down. Now, sometimes it's deserved and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And now we're living in a this cancel culture society, and I kind of hate that word, but sure. it does have legs because it's true. Again, you know, Sal Capaccio, lovable dude, 92,000 followers on Twitter. If that guy says one wrong thing, how quickly will 20% of the fans turn on his ass just because that's the way it is, especially on social media where everybody with a keyboard or fingers, a thumb to be able to type on their phone has a voice. That's the most frustrating part to me. Yeah, it's tough. That was one thing I I talked in a bunch of DMs with people when you, you would see some of that. Again, there's no maybe better word for it, but the cancel culture stuff going on. And for me, I never felt that because 
really most of what I say I stand by and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong, if I've said something really wrong and you know what, if, if society is going to cancel me, it's probably better off. Um, the things that did annoy me though, are probably to the lesser degree. And I was guilty of it too. I mean, I'll own all the times I was a jerk or overly abrasive or, you know, having a bad day and cussing somebody out on that site. But, um, you know, like you said, the personal attacks, there was a few questionable DMS that I had gotten throughout the years of people trying to want to fight me, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking it to another level. I really tried to never get on a personal level. I'll attack your take. You know, I'll attack your opinion and your worldview. I'm not going to attack who you are as a human being, you know, that I don't know these people. I don't know the majority of the people on the site. So but when people would do stuff like that or like months and months later, because, again, I'm not celebrity, but I have a voice and a platform months and months later, people pulling up a take out of context and trying to mm-hmm. gotcha. You know, we gotcha. You were wrong. You're an idiot. And while it's not a big deal, that stuff would hang with me all day and thinking about the response that I was going to give this person. And in the big scheme of things, it's not worth it for the guy with whatever amount of followers who he found some take of mine that wasn't a great take out of the thousands of takes that I've had. And he got me. I should have just been able to say, hi, you got me again. My ego wouldn't allow that. You know, I I would just Mm -hmm. fester with that. And those people would get the better of me. And that's not for me, that's not a good way to live, man. It's unhealthy. Um, and so those are the pieces probably that I miss the least is uh, the people that are just out to bring you back down a notch. And I've done it to others. So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm above that uh, a- aspect of Twitter. I've done it to others and I had it come back to me and that's how karma works. And I'm just glad kind of I'm away from the that toxic uh, atmosphere that's created on that site. Yeah, for sure, dude. And I- I'll tell you, man, I hope, you know, you, you talk about just being a little more peace and a little more, uh, your, your mind's at ease. Just, you feel differently. I, I really hope that, and then one of the reasons why I want to talk to you today specifically about this, and then obviously we're going to get to the bills in just a minute here, but I've struggled with it. I, I, I really have weighed the pros and cons of getting, getting rid of Twitter myself for a lot of the reasons that you just said. And I need, I feel like I need it because of this podcast, I, mm-hmm. at least I, t- I try to convince myself of that. And maybe I'm fucking a hundred percent wrong. I don't know. I feel like putting out my podcast twice a week and having tweets about it and plugging my guests that I have on the show and things like that, I, I feel like are very important, but it comes at a price for sure. And again, most people are, are very good people. They're, they're nice, but those trolls, those assholes, they, they get to me sometimes too. And uh, they make the experience not fun. And again, it's not even some, and a lot of it's on my own. Instead of blaming everyone else, you know, all these people are assholes, isn't that? And you've done this. You've taken some self-accountability. I feel like more people need to do that, including myself, because it's my own fault. I don't need to be sitting there trying to have a night with my wife in the living room couch watching a movie and being on my phone the whole time, you know, checking Twitter because I might miss something or I might have a funny thought in my mind that I think might make for a funny take that might give me a couple followers, you know what I mean? New shit like that. So I kind of go back and forth and I really hope I can get myself to a place where I don't need it because I I do feel mentally, I I think I would be better off if I didn't have Twitter, but I also understand that that might come with consequence. I might lose some listeners who might not get the podcast or might not know about it. If I'm not something I struggle with, I'll tell you what, the best solution is just to get some money 
Because then you're asking to hire somebody <laughs> exactly. to fucking deal with tweet for you. for you, promote your shit for you, and say what you want to say, and then you ain't got to deal with it. Or, I'll tell you one thing, I mean, you will never do this, but maybe we should be like Skip Bayless. Now, I'm not talking about terrible takes. I'm talking about don't follow anybody yeah. or, or literally don't anyone. look at your mentions. I remember I had a Jerry Sullivan on the podcast, and he does now. I can tell he engages. But for a long time, he didn't even know how to look at notifications. Mentions. So people are just yelling to nobody. Yeah, they'd be yelling to nobody. He tweeted what he wanted to tweet, got what he said, what he wanted to say, and didn't never even looked at his mentions. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's the key to actually having happy. <laughs> yeah, honestly, well, and that's so. I've had a lot of conversations offline with guys with bigger followings than me, guys with the same type of you know that are just involved, and I have heard a lot of people saying, "Man, I I'm close to doing what you did and just take it." just walking away from it. And I understand why people don't. It, I'm telling you, man, it was very hard for me. You, you click that button, Twitter says, hey, you got 30 days to change your mind. And I thought about it for every 30 days because that following is important to you. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, if I wanted to do the podcast again, I, I felt like I needed that. And luckily, I work with a really cool crew. Eric was super cool. I, I know it hurt him to see me. I've been doing this with Eric now for three years. We work together hand in hand. I'm kind of a right hand man for him. And I know Greg uh, was hurt by it because he had to go through the whole offseason basically alone. He did a phenomenal job, by the way. I love what he's done with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And he's a much better human being than I am in terms of wh- what he engages with on Twitter and how he interacts with people and does those things. So he doesn't have those same types of problems. But I'm not alone in the problems that I had on Twitter. And a lot of people are feeling that way and talking to me about hey, I want to leave. And there's other ways to do it. Like you said, Bill Simmons is the same way. Bill Simmons doesn't respond to people. He puts out a tweet and walks away. I'm not right. that person. And I know that. And I can't, right. I can't do it. So if I'm going to get away from that toxic level, I got to just get away. I got to cut it out. If you can not engage in those ways, good for you. Um, you're a better human being than I am. But yeah, if if you're feeling, if and this goes to anyone out there, that it's just too toxic, um, I think in a few years, we're going to see some studies about how social media and the interactions that it creates for people is just a really not good thing for a lot of human beings. Um, and if you're one of those people, man, just at the end of the day, you can still do the stuff you want to do. Uh, I'm on Instagram quite a bit, and I, I think there's a lot of interaction over there. It's not the same as it is on Twitter. Uh, I, I get more in the comments on our YouTube uh, you know, when we post a video on YouTube, I get more in the comments there and just still trying to engage fans. Um, but in areas that it's just not so draws you into that toxic atmosphere. Yeah. I look, I agree with you hundred percent. And we get my mind right to that point at some point, hopefully soon. Anyway, let's talk some topics that actually yeah. give these people, these monsters on Twitter, a bunch of shit. Yeah. Cause now they can't find me. They can't ask me about. for my bad takes. Exactly. They can't ask you for terrible takes. Let's talk <laughs> bills. Obviously 53 man roster cut down date was this Saturday. I don't want to say there was anything earth shattering by any means that happened with the bills or anywhere around the league for that matter. But Trent Murphy far and away to me was the biggest, um, I don't want to say surprise. It was the biggest question coming in the cut down date. Is he going to make the team or is he not? And the reason being is, no matter what outcome you came to, you had a good point. You had a fair point. If Trent Murphy was going to get cut, that was $7 million that you roll over to next year's salary cap with a cap decreasing and might be the difference between extending Matt Milano right now if that's what they want, even want to do. We don't even know if they want to do that right now. But So that was the upside. The downside is, dude, this is like kind of a win-now franchise, you know? Yeah. And he's a, 
at worst, he's a serviceable player. And I frankly, shit, man, I thought he looked really good at the end of uh, 2019, including the playoff game at Houston. He's a good player. And cutting him and keeping Daryl Johnson over him to me would have been a downgrade in the talent of your roster. Now, I'm not going to play stupid here. I know you're a Trent Murphy guy. So explain to people listening with those choices why you're extremely happy today that the Bills elected to keep Trent Murphy on the 53. Yeah, I love Trent Murphy. Uh, He embodies all the things Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean talk about when they talk about football players. He is that. And I I do understand the frustration that fans have that, you know, that first year he gets hurt. Uh, the the contract looks pretty big. I don't know that it's as big of a contract as people think. I think it's actually a pretty fair contract, uh, especially if he's the production that you saw in the second half of last year. I think that's pretty much in line for him. Maybe he's overpaid a little bit, but I tend to not care about those things. And especially with Brandon being in charge, I really don't care about the idea of guys being overpaid. I argued with a ton of people about Starlet Tulele over the last two years. Uh, as well. And I felt like Trent Murphy sort of became the new star. Once star opted out, uh, the, the talk, at least in the Slack channel was like, well, we got to move on from this guy to save money. I never felt that. I know that there, there are some scenarios numbers wise. If you really start getting into the numbers, I'm not a cap guy that there were some of those scenarios where it gets real tight to keep Milano and Trey white. How are you going to do that? And keep this guy who's a rotational end. I was never worried about Brandon Bean being able to get all the things he wanted done, done. These guys plan out every single move so far in advance with so many contingencies that if they wanted to keep Trent Murphy, they're going to keep him and get these other moves done. And I think you saw that with, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that, the Trey White extension. Uh, I think that Trey White, while he got a big extension, gave them some flexibility to still bring in Milano and keep Trent Murphy this year. So I never had concerns financially. I understand some of the concerns financially, but the day Brandon Bean got his job and lined up with Sean McDermott here, this team was all about 2020. It starts in 2020. They ate that dead cap in 2018. They had a terrible roster and they just sat there and took it. They got, they redid their entire offensive line in 2019. They brought in a ton of talent. They they took a bottom roster of the league and got it at least to mediocre a playoff caliber team. And then this year you see the big moves with Stefan Diggs. You know, th- it was always all about 2020 and getting a team together. And maybe they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender this year, but I'll tell you what, man, on paper, this team's going to compete with every team in the NFL because that is what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott set out to do. The day they walked through the door was the 2020 football season was going to be, hey, th- we finally got the team and the roster put together the way we want it. And we're going to go make a run over the next two to three years with these guys. And so knowing that Trent Murphy was part of that plan two years ago, uh, I just didn't see a way that they really wanted to get rid of him. I think if maybe if Star Latule didn't opt out that you maybe have a better case for it because then the money gets real, real right. tight real yep, quick. Yep. Um, and another thing is with the Milano thing, I, I think he might do something similar to what Trey White did and not milk the bills for every penny that he can get out on the open market. But hey, he's a really good fit here. The bills took a chance on this guy. I'm going to get paid really well. It'll be a, you know, come across your bleacher report feed and look like a big contract, but it'll give them still some some room. I don't think it'll be the Zach Cunningham deal. Uh, so I, I think guys want to buy in. And so Trent Murphy's a big part of the what the 2020 bills for me. And I, I think 
if you lose him, it's just a bad football decision. I get the money side of it, but the football decision just doesn't make sense. He's too productive. Yeah, it feels like a legitimate, you know, not to use a corny term, but it's true. Like I said, win now because they're better with him on the roster than they are with him not on the roster. Look, again, I like the way he played last year. Now, I understand he's underperformed to some extent and he might be a little bit overpaid. But like you said, I don't think he's grossly overpaid, but he looked good at the end of last year. I really liked him. And again, if nothing else, worst case scenario, he's insurance if Jerry Hughes or Addison go down for any length of time, you know, or, and also it helps you ease AJ Epinesa's role maybe a little bit, at least early on with his rookie season as well. Um, yeah, to me, that just screams like we think that we can win now because again, financially, without a, neither was our cap experts, but everything I've read said that they could have rolled a lot of money, significant amount yeah. of money, 7 million over to next year. But they're like, no, man, we're good. Yeah, we're good well, with that. We'll worry about next year, next year, because I like him better as a football player. He makes our team better. I brought up, you know, I don't think they cut a guy that got 65 percent of their defensive snaps a year ago. He led the defensive line in snaps and he was a well Mario Addison led Carolina Panthers in snaps. And yeah, he did. But I don't think that they want either of the go those guys to have 65 percent of the snaps. I think the, the plan is to have good guys without a huge drop off to be able to rotate and be more in the 50, you know, 45, 50% of snaps where you have fresh legs. I like Mario Addison. I love that addition to this team, but Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are on the wrong side of 30 years old. And this is a marathon every year. The NFL is a marathon. We saw Jerry Hughes playing injured all last year. I think they don't want a guy to get injured and have to play because the drop off is too significant. They want fresh legs, defensive line. Those guys get worn out. You want fresh legs. And so I think the depth at the defensive line is fantastic. I love, I'm so intrigued by what they're going to be able to do, stunting some of these guys and you rotate guys and the drop-off just isn't there. You take Addison out and you have Trent Murphy and there's not a significant dropout. We lost Shaq Lawson last year. That was a big loss. He played really well for this team. I did not want to lose Shaq Lawson and Trent Murphy on this defensive line, even with the additions that we got. So I'm glad that Trent Murphy made the 53. That was really made my day. And then my day got even better with Trey White. So really fun day. And uh, I think a good day for the 2020 Bills. If you would have told me at the beginning of this offseason that the Bills would lose Jordan Phillips, 10 and a half sacks last year. Uh, and if the Bills would lose Shaq Lawson, who again, you said it, played very well. Good all-around player. He's always been good against the run. And he finally started to put up some decent Sack numbers last year. He was good. You would have told me you lose both those guys and the depth of your defensive line is arguably one of the biggest traits of this team right now. You know, it's a pretty yeah. busy offseason and, and a lot of work to get to that point to lose two good linemen, replace them adequately. And now, again, like you said, the defensive line to me is a big strength on this team, especially keeping Trent Murphy. Yep. Huh. What about uh, Isaiah McKenzie making the team? A little bit of a surprise. They kept seven receivers now. Isaiah Hodges just went on IR. He'll be gone for probably the first three weeks or whatever. But uh, I, I saw a lot of people not thinking that he was going to make the roster. Ultimately, they do keep him. Duke Williams gets cut. He's back on the practice squad. And Robert Foster gets cut. And he went to the Green Bay Packers practice squad. So his time in Buffalo is done. But Isaiah McKenzie being kept, uh, what's your take and your reaction to that? McKenzie's a tough one for me, man. Uh, he's electric. When the ball's in his hands, he just plays so fast. He's at another level, even in the NFL. His speed's at another level with the ball in his hand. Uh, and some guys just, you look at 40s and all that stuff, and he, he puts up a great 40, but 
you he just plays fast with pads. I don't know how to describe it. When you watch tape, you see guys, he's just electric with the ball in his hands, but he's not consistent. Uh, he struggled uh, returning punts, so he doesn't give you that ability. He struggled to you know keep his hands on the ball there. You even saw it in camp. There was a mic'd up that they did, and he makes a great move, jukes a guy, and then coughs the ball up. So he's got some consistency issues. If he can kind of fix that, I like it. I like that ability he has with the jet sweep game, and I, I'm not sure a lot of fans understand what Dayball does with some of that motion and and using him in those ways because it's not always hey let's get this guy the ball sometimes it's setting up josh allen to show what the defense is doing and uh that you can't just put anyone out there i know people said well steph Diggs can just take reverses it's not just reverses and jet sweeps there's a element to the strategy of what they're doing there i did think roberts can do that role and you saw roberts you know we had such limited camp exposure this year in reporting but you saw clips of roberts legitimate playing wide receiver and last year at camp when i was down there you saw him doing it and i just thought i said man if andre roberts can take over that role you can save those two kind of specialist spots that are getting a small snap percentage and have one guy do it all and that would be way better right instead of paying mm-hmm. two guys and, and using two roster spots so there is a part of me that wanted to see them kind of move away from isaiah mckenzie and give that role to andre roberts but i'm not going to doubt uh, these talent evaluators, they like Isaiah McKenzie. And I don't think him making the team over any of the guys that got cut is a significant, you know, I'm not longing for Duke Williams uh, to be back on this active roster. You know, there's, there was no other player that I wanted over Isaiah McKenzie. So not a huge surprise for me. I think Dable really likes having that gadget tool in his belt and that speed, man, it's just a guy that's that electric. It's hard to keep him off your roster. Duke Williams not making the team and ending up on the practice squad. That doesn't surprise me at all. And I'm with you there. I wasn't exactly championing him to make this 53-man roster. He could do some things, and he has some shortcomings in his game, and I think we saw a little bit of both last year. He is who he is. At least that's my opinion. Here's the thing that it doesn't surprise me that Robert Foster got cut. I think we all saw that coming. But it's just weird to me. I mean, reflect on this a little bit. He... At the end of 2018, all right, he was a he had three 100-yard games and another 94-yard receiving game on the back end of his 2018. He was terrible early on. He got cut. He spent a couple weeks on the practice squad, came up to the Bills, and was electric in the second half of 2018. You would assume that going into last year, he was going to build on that. I remember having conversations. Is this guy going to be a 1,000-yard receiver? Again, you go by those numbers in the second half of 2018, certainly projected to be, and he never really got a chance again. I know maybe it's his own fault he never got another chance, but he didn't do anything last year at all. He couldn't barely get on the field. And then this year, ultimately, he doesn't make the roster, and now he's in the Green Bay Packers organization. It's just, isn't it weird to you that a guy would put up those kind of numbers in the second half of 2018, and then it's like, Nothing after that. I mean, like literally nothing. I know it's he's a tough one to really figure out what happened. Uh, definitely athletically, the talent, all the talent in the world is there, the God given ability. He's got it. Something scouts must have seen. Uh, obviously, he didn't get the use at Alabama, but he went undrafted for a reason. I think he is a guy I had heard a couple, uh, you know, tweets from beat guys. I'm not exactly sure which one where he was maybe struggling with some of the playbook side of the NFL and the film side of the NFL and, and becoming a pro. I think he struggled with some of that. I think that's why maybe he got cut that first time. 
Um, as far as his production when he came back, that's a little bit inflated just due to the fact that the Bills were losing a lot of the time uh, in True, 2018. Fair. And it was a terrible ride. I mean, that was one of the least talented skill position teams I think I've ever seen in my lifetime as a Bills fan. And so to stand at, to be the, the most shiny turd amongst the pile of turds isn't necessarily mean you're good or you're going to uh, replicate that production as the, the team gets better. Uh, but I had a lot of hope for him to be able to stick on the roster. I know my boy, Nate Geary had him as he was going to be wide receiver one. He was putting out that take and I wasn't there, but I thought, Hey man, this guy could be a productive fourth wide receiver for an NFL team. You know, that, that would be great. And you got him as an undrafted free agent. We got his rights for all these years as an undrafted free agent, super cheap. And then he kind of fell off some injuries, just couldn't get a spot on the roster, but he really carved out a spot on special teams last year. And I thought that kept Duke Williams, uh, you know, off the roster a little bit longer mm-hmm. than maybe the team wanted to get him out because, you know, that that game day roster, you get real iffy. And if Duke Williams is not a special teams player and Robert Foster was and that kept Foster going and he played really well and. I said it on our show, man, if Foster gets cut, I think out of all these guys, I know a lot of people thought, no, there's no way Duke Williams clears waivers. The guy I was worried about the most was Robert Foster because he has all that special teams ability on tape. That's looked at throughout the league. And if the Bills didn't make a priority of getting high-end special teams players into this uh, building, they have a, I think they're going to have a phenomenal special teams unit this year. I think Robert Foster makes the team just on his abilities alone. It just happened that we have too many guys that are good at that for him to make the Bills roster. So I think he can carve out, even if he's never a productive wide receiver, I think he's done. I've seen some things on special teams where he could be a guy that carves out a nice role for himself on a 53-man roster every year as a special teams guy for the next few years of, uh, and make a nice little NFL career that way. You know, it's interesting to me. So we're taping this segment late on Sunday night. I haven't personally, maybe there's something out there, but I haven't seen any reports saying if the Bills were interested in bringing Foster back mm-hmm. and joining their practice squad, or if they said, we're good done, luck. Go, good luck somewhere else. Because now, again, he's on the Green Bay Packers practice squad. I wonder if it was a case of the Bills wanting him back, or maybe if Robert Foster had a choice between you know other multiple organizations, including the Bills, and just said, Maybe my path to making a 53-man roster is better through Green Bay than Buffalo. Right. I don't know. It's pretty interesting to me. Uh, anyway, uh, Jake Fromm made the roster as well, the 53-man. Now, by all accounts, pretty mediocre camp. Everything that I've read and people I've talked to said that he got outplayed by Webb in training camp. Also, obviously, got off to a bad start because of the old tweet stuff. Whatever yeah. with that. But anyway... Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk and a lot of expectation that he was not going to make the roster. And the question would be if he was even going to be on the practice squad, if the Bills would keep two quarterbacks on that squad. Turns out he made it. And look, at the end of the day, Brandon Bean did invest a fifth rounder in this kid. Uh, he saw something in him that he liked to take him in the fifth round. He saw good value there. I think maybe his fans and maybe his media that we uh, overlooked that part of it, that Brandon B must've liked this guy to draft him in the fifth round and that maybe it was a little bit overblown and he was never going to not make the roster. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I didn't think he would make the roster either, but it's really hard with the quarterbacks because all we saw was Allen as far as fans. I, I don't have media access, so I can't speak to what the media guys saw. All we saw was Allen and all you really see even of Allen is what the team wanted you to see. 
uh, for the most part there. And we saw a couple clips of Barkley, but I saw nothing from Jake Fromm. So I have no evaluation of how he played. But what I will say is the, the difference between him and a Davis Webb probably isn't super significant for me. And I'll tell you right now, if either one of those quarterbacks are playing uh, any significant other than week 17 and we're just floating into the playoffs, if those guys are playing. Things have gone very poorly for the Buffalo Bills, and I don't even care which one was out there because I'm so mad about how the season's gone. So uh, I think, you know, it's tough. I didn't like him as a prospect. I didn't love the pick. I did see some reports of other GMs, and I take those with a grain of salt sometimes too. Sometimes agents put that stuff out there to the media, but you saw some other GMs were surprised he made it to the fifth round and thought it was a good pick by Buffalo. So there's some evaluators. He's a pretty polarizing guy I suppose with evaluators and Brandon Bean liked him enough to put a fifth into him and I think yeah, this roster is so deep and so good that you know I don't know there's not a guy that he took a roster spot from that I think is going to make a significant impact in 2020 for the Buffalo Bills so you keep him you don't expose him to waivers that's fine Greg had the theory yesterday that maybe he would be the guy that got that mystery IR spot. You know, they keep him not exposing the wires and then put him mm-hmm. on IR this year. And then you kind of just hide him for the year. Um, it, it isn't going to be the case. I don't think he ever sees an active game day roster if things go well for the Bills. Uh, I think they just want to keep him in the building for another year and see if they can develop him into the guy that they thought he was clearly giving up a fifth round. I don't think being just said, oh, we don't have anything else to pick in the fifth round here. Let's just throw a waiver at this guy. I think they really liked him. And there's something they saw in their evaluation of him where they thought they can develop him into something. I don't know if that's just a that he'll be Matt Barkley for the next few years after Matt Barkley's gone or, or what they, they see in him. But I'm fine with them keeping that investment that they made and not exposing him to the waiver process. Yeah, for sure. Now, there were I wouldn't say this is big news by any means, because they're backups, but a little bit of a surprise, at least Tyrell Dodson and Delshawn Phillips, they're in at linebacker and Corey Thompson and LaShawn Joseph are out yeah. at linebacker. Are you a little bit surprised about Joseph not just getting cut, but at least again, maybe things change. But as we tape this late in the Sunday night, he wasn't even, he's not on the practice squad either. So that makes me think that they said, we just don't see a future. Don't know. This kid's very young, just drafted a year ago. Uh, are you, are you a little bit surprised by that for Joseph? I'm not. And before I left Twitter, there was like this, anytime I talked about linebacker, I would get like five or six tweets of people saying like, focus on Joseph. He's going to have a big 2020. He's going to, and I just, I was like, why do you think that? Where are you seeing it? I don't, I don't see it. I don't know why. Uh, I get the highlight tapes are fun. His college highlights. He plays football in those highlights the way that gets people excited, right? He's fast, he's explosive, makes big hits. But when you actually look at some of the tape, and I'm not a tape expert like Eric, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a, a guy, but when you, I did look at it, he's not a very disciplined player. He's kind of all over the place. And if he's kept that into the NFL, a guy like Bob Babbage just doesn't have room for that. Like He can work a lot of, he's a great coach. He can do a lot of things, but if you're an undisciplined player and you don't know how to pick up a system or anything like that, there's just not a lot of room. And I'm not saying that's what happened for him, but he, the athletic ability is there. There's something there to him. But for the Bills to just give up on him tells me that he was probably struggling to hit his spots. He was probably getting pushed around. He probably just wasn't picking up the game at the pace that they wanted him to pick up. And I think that maybe confirmed in him not getting back on the practice squad there. Uh, Corey Thompson was a, a 
kind of surprising cut to me. I like that. I like him as a depth linebacker. And I honestly, I had to look up Delshawn Phillips yesterday when I saw that come through. Didn't know the guy. I don't know if it's because I took some of the offseason off and, and wasn't paying attention. I didn't hear any reports mm-hmm. about him coming out of camp. I don't think a single person that I saw or talked to had ever mentioned him. So um, I thought it would be Corey Thompson, and, and I didn't even know Delshawn. So good for Delshawn. I think that's a great story when a guy that nobody really knows about makes a 53-man roster. You know that guy's worked his butt off. Uh, to to earn that spot so so good for him but yeah no Voshan wasn't as much a surprise as Thompson was for me but uh, I, I, I hope he catches on somewhere because I hate to see a guy just you know the league goes by you quick man and if you are young and you, you're out for a season that might be it for you man that might be a wrap and there's nowhere else to go these days I'll tell you what here's my quick Voshan take here I like look I get no personal joy to see anybody get cut this is their dream to play in the NFL I'm not an asshole. You know, I'm not going to celebrate somebody getting cut unless I really don't like that person. That said, though, what I like about them cutting him is that it shows that this organization is not afraid to say we took a a draft pick and we were wrong about this kid. Let's move on. And instead of, you know, you really want to be right. When you make a draft pick, man, you want to be right. You can invest. You give that kid a second, a third, a fourth chance over, especially against over undrafted free agents. I like the fact that they took a flyer on this kid. They made him a draft pick. They don't like something about him that they don't think he's roster worthy. And rather than keep him because he was a draft pick, like I said, they they got rid of him. I actually, I like that. I respect that. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, you're seeing, uh, we saw a few examples of it yesterday in the, I know people talk about Sean McDermott's just coach speak and Brandon Bean just it doesn't give these guys anything. I think you saw a little bit of what they practice, what they preach, and you just hit the nail on the head that, hey, everything's earned. It doesn't matter where you came in here at, everything's earned. And a guy like Delshawn Phillips making the team shows, I think, the people in the locker room of the roster, he probably was working his butt off all summer. He's probably going to be a good special teams player for Heath Farwell. And I think giving him a roster spot and not the guy you drafted shows, Hey, these guys mean what they say that everybody's competing. And if you give it your all and you, you put in the work, there's going to be a spot for you on this team. And uh, I love that, that what you say, what you mean, you mean what you say. And I think it resonates with the players. I'm with recurring guest. I could say that again, because you are back now, That's Aaron right. Quinn from cover one Buffalo podcast, by the way, the loan bill to get cut and get claimed by another team, a defensive tackle, bits and Taylor, got picked up by the Browns. So now the Bills kept five corners to begin the season. Uh, Trey White, of course, Josh Norman, Wallace, Teron Johnson, and Teron Neal. Dane Jackson getting cut. I wanted to say initially that's a little bit of a surprise because he was a seventh-round pick and he would be exposed to waivers. But here's where I think it's the rare situation for an organization where not having a preseason might play to your advantage because this is a seventh-round guy the league has not seen anything other than before he came into the league. Now, if there was a preseason and maybe he plays well and other teams got tape on him, you might have to keep this guy on the 53-man roster or risk losing him the waivers because you could see on tape what he did in the preseason. But with no preseason, I think it was rather easy to cut a seventh rounder and then bring him back on the practice squad. He might have a future role on this team. Do you agree with that? That not having a preseason when it comes to, say, I'm using him as an example, a Dane Jackson, it's a lot easier to cut a seventh round pick and have him clear waivers because 31 other teams around the league don't have any tape on him from what they've seen in the preseason. Yeah, and I, I felt bad for 
a lot of the undrafted guys and late round picks this year without a preseason, because that's where a lot of these guys make their names mm-hmm. uh, and can and find a spot. And I'm always cheering for those guys. I really am. I, I love those stories. Um, the things I w- wasn't really worried about, though, is what you said, like there. So there isn't going to be a lot of tape on these guys. I also think that this is something I struggle with almost every year around this time. We fall in love with some undrafted free agent or late round pick, and everybody's terrified that if we cut him, he's going to be exposed to waivers and everyone's going to come take him. Well, I'll tell you right now, if you talk to fans of other teams, they all also have five guys like that, that they're talking about like, oh, God, we can't expose this guy to waivers. And uh, my co-host, Greg Thompson, put out some numbers, and I think he might have even tweeted it out, but we were talking about it in 2019. 33% 33% of the thousand plus guys that got cut got claimed somewhere else. So it's not something that happens a whole lot where guys get claimed. You're pretty safe to get the guys you want back on your team. So especially some of those late round guys, there's a reason league wide. They're either seventh round picks or undrafted free agents that teams just weren't sold that they were better than the guys they have in their building. So uh, I wasn't super worried about a guy like Jackson not coming back. And also with this year, you have COVID and it's difficult to bring some guys in. So you got to really love a guy to bring in a guy from another team because now you got to go through the protocol. You got to go through all this stuff. So um, I wasn't really worried about that. But the the one, again, I think my surprise was Cam Lewis. And I made the huge, this is another reason I'm glad I'm not on Twitter. I was doing our show last night and we do it live. So there's no really, if you make a mistake, you're screwed. It's just stuck on, mm-hmm. the, on the internet forever. I was calling Cam Lewis, Cam Phillips all night. I did it three times. And Greg finally was like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's Cam Lewis. And I was like, I, I knew it. It just, my head wasn't, you know, thinking in the right way. And I said, dude, you gotta, you gotta tell me the first time I make that mistake. So I don't keep sounding like an idiot all night long. But, uh, <laughs> Cam Lewis is a guy who I just, again, I haven't been on Twitter not following Cam, but I was hearing that he was making plays. I saw a couple of videos the Bills were put out where he was just hustling, man. He popped the ball out of Isaiah McKenzie's hands and recovered the fumble. I thought that maybe if you were going to keep another guy, it's going to be him. I'm glad that they got him back on the practice squad because I think you're going to deal with some injuries at some point. So I want a guy that's got that kind of energy and is going to be able to you know, be brought up. But I love this defensive back group. I don't think... I think people are a little bit worried about some of the depth fans don't love Levi Wallace as much as I don't love him, but I like Levi Wallace. I think he's a better player than fans. I think he is. He's been a big piece of a top defense here for the last two years. You're not a bad player and and do that, especially the the passing defense has been very good. And I think Sierra Neal is going to have a breakout year. I really do. I love the kid. I love them coming out. People talk about uh, Josh Allen in the, the lack of reps he had at a big school coming out of Wyoming. Sierra Neal came out of Jacksonville state. This guy played everywhere there. Nobody knew really how to use him or what to do with him. He's got the athleticism. And I think now a couple years in, he's figured out the game. He was talking to him the other day on, uh, in his press conference about how the game started to slow down for him. I liked what I've seen on the field. I know people get mad that he missed that sack on Deshaun Watson. But that I was, was just going to drop that on you. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a bummer. He missed that sack. But you know what? That was a beautiful blitz. And they had him in there in a big spot. That means that they trust him. Um, I, I think that it hurts him probably more than it hurts any of us that he missed that sack. And, and, and I'm not going to hold that one play against him. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a good player for a long time. And even if he's never a top cornerback, I think he's going to be one of the better special teams players in the entire league. I think he's a special talent. I think I really think he takes a big jump here in year three. One guy you didn't mention specifically that I wanted to ask you about, because again, I have not talked to you, at least football anyway, in, in quite a while is 
What are your thoughts on Josh Norman? Because I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I love this offseason, it was the one move at the time that I, I didn't hate it at the time. I didn't like the fact that because they signed Josh Norman, they didn't address the position in any other manner with the exception of using a seventh-round pick on Dane Jackson. Shows a lot of trust in a guy who's 32 years old, a guy who, bad system or not, and I'm, there's some truth to that. He wasn't a shitty system in a bad team in Washington, but you know what? Guys have played well in three years. That's the bottom line. Yeah, He's not young, and I mean, you talk about Levi Wallace, so I know that you're confident that Levi Wallace could get the job done, but what are your thoughts right now on Josh Norman, who, by the way, along with Levi Wallace, actually, too, have had some issues with the hamstrings. Yeah, the hamstring stuff, I hate. It, it does concern me because you just never know. Those treat different guys so differently, and there's different degrees of how the, how those hurt. So those definitely concern me, but it's good to see. I saw that he was back in a limited uh, role in practice, and I think he'll be ready for week one, which is good to see. I hope Wallace is as well. I love the idea of those two as rotating guys throughout the season, and I think that mm-hmm. the Bills like that. Uh, I'm not as worried about Josh Norman. I, Leslie Frazier it blows my mind. The Leslie Frazier is not being begged to come coach a team. I think he's one of the, I love Bob Babich. And I, I think he'll never be a head coach. I think he loves where he's at a middle linebacker, but I think the bills have some coaches that are just, it's incredible that they're just here as in assistant roles. Uh, and Leslie Frazier is one of them. I don't know how people aren't beating down his door, uh, but they, I'm not super worried about Josh Norman here with them because I do think he had uh, a bad situation in Washington. I think some of the players around him were bad and that's very difficult for a cornerback. There's a lot of communication that goes on. You got to be on the same page. There's a lot of options in some of these zone plays where if uh, you know, a receiver breaks off a route, what is the safety going to do? You saw a lot of miscommunications that look like he got burnt, but he didn't really necessarily get burnt. Um, he's not, probably not the guy the contract that he got, he's probably not that guy. And especially at his age, he's not that guy. But the thing I like about him the most is he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. He has something to prove that he can still play in this league. I like that. I'll take a bet on a guy like that more times than not. Um, but it's not a signing that moved the needle in a big way for me, but I like the idea of a Norman Wallace rotation. And and if anyone's going to get him back to any what, where, what, close to what he was, it's going to be Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. And I think that they can milk a little bit of the productivity that's left in him and hide some of the deficiencies in his athleticism and things like that with Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde. So I I feel pretty good about it. Fair point. And I mean, the rotation worked pretty well last year with uh, Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson. One other roster note too, uh, Reggie Gilliam made the team. The only thing I wanted to say about that is I do got to shout out Ryan Talbot from uh, New York up because it's one thing to take a look at camp in the summer and say, oh, this guy's looking good. He's going to make the roster. But your boy did say, and I looked at his tweet, April 28th, of all the undrafted free agents he signed for the Bills sign, he said he liked him the, the best, had the best chance to make the roster. So props to your man for that. Um, I love Trey Ryan Wayne. Talbot. I just want to say, oh, me too. he since the day I got on Twitter, he has been one of the best. I, I did a show really early on with uh, Pierre from Buffalo Fanatics. We did a show years ago. He was one of our first guests. Always just just one of the nicest guys and sneaky, one of the funniest people on Twitter. Yeah, I, dude, I love Ryan, man. He's also a fan of The Office, which is my favorite show. Yep. He's a big WWE fan. What I love, You know what I love about people? People like Ryan Talbot and Ryan specifically. He has organically matured in what he does. Yep. Like there was a time where 
you know, he doesn't act like he's bigger than anybody because, you know, that's just not who he is. But he's really grown from having, you know, roughly the same amount of, say, Twitter followers that like I have right now or that you had when you were on. He's up to like 18,000 people. Fans trust him. Yeah. You know what I mean? They trust what he is, uh, what he's putting out there. And that matters. And he's doing that. He's doing the podcast with uh, Matt Perino. Yep. He's one of those guys who's worked really hard. He's not trying to be something he's not. He right. Exactly. He knows who he is, and I respect the the crap out of that. I I do too, and I, I love to see somebody get rewarded for their hard work. Like he got to go to Houston in January and cover a Buffalo yeah. Bills playoff game. I know that was a dream come true for him. So yep. yeah, man, people like him, I have all the respect for in the world, and uh, I like Ryan a lot. But anyway, all right. So Trey White got the bags, man. What's uh, what's your thoughts on that? You know what? Before you answer that, yeah, this is what we spent a half hour talking about Twitter. Last, so we're taping a Sunday night. I keep saying it over and over. Saturday night, I am in my buddy's backyard and there's four or five of us. We're just having some drinks near a pool and that news broke. And I, again, I spent the next 45 minutes on Twitter, refreshing yeah. everything to get details, 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 details. That's the good and the bad of Twitter. But anyway, he got what I thought was a, a relatively team-friendly deal. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this big extension for uh, one of the best corners in the NFL? I think it's a... I mean, I, People will probably kill me for being a fanboy, but I think it's a great deal for both sides, man. He gets generational wealth, which is something you, he's wanted. He stated that he wants that, mm-hmm. and he stays with the team that drafted him. I think this is a big win for the culture that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are trying to build. They drafted a guy. Well, Brandon Bean wasn't involved in the draft, but still, it's their guy. It was the first number one pick of the Sean McDermott era. He came in, did every single thing right. He's one of the hardest working guys since the day he arrived here. I think he's the best player since the the first day he walked through into one Bills drive. He was the best player on the field that day, and he has been consistently since he got here. Um, I've gone to battle with if if I was ever abrasive and a jerk to any of the guys in the media, it was when they were dogging on Trey White mid season a couple years ago, or after that Cincinnati game two years ago, and they were dogging on him. I'm not going to tolerate Trey White. Uh, hate in any way. I think he is, he's the guy that sets the tone for what the bills are trying to build and for them to, to draft the guy, develop him. He does all the right things. He keeps his, you know, he stays out of trouble. He's a fun personality. He does all the things in the community you want him to do. And then to come and pay him, I think it speaks volumes to the guys in the locker room. I think every single guy in the locker room is happy for Trey white to get the deal that he just got. It speaks volumes around the league. I think it it puts it on other free agents radar that man the bills if if you go to the bills and you do perform they're going to give you what you are worth they're they are going to pay you handsomely and I think that is a big thing for the culture of what the buffalo bills are trying to do I am so happy this is in my adult life probably the most important move that a buffalo bills team has made I think cuz I think he really does do so much just both on the field for the culture of this team I think he's the best player on a really good team. And you finally extend somebody I think that deserves it. We we extended Marcel Darius. That was probably the only first round pick in my adult life that actually got an extension. But I don't I never felt like he deserved a massive extension. I think that there were some questions of why are you paying this guy that money? I don't know. I maybe I'm wrong because I'm not on Twitter, but I don't think you can question this extension. I, I think it, it, it makes him the highest paid guy for a little while until Ramsey gets his deal. Uh, but 
if anyone out there is questioning, I think you're crazy. The tape doesn't lie. Trey White is one of the most exciting players in the NFL, and he's ours now. We get to watch Trey White for six more years of football, and I think every Bills fan should be ecstatic about that. I think Trey White best exemplifies the culture right now of this organization and of this football team because he signed right now. He could have probably potentially at least gotten even more money. Definitely could have insisted, could have made it a big issue, could have potentially tested the market or made the bills tag him. And who knows how ugly that ends up getting stuff like that. I feel like the Rex Ryan Buffalo bills and the Doug Marone bills and the Chan Gailey and the Dick Toronto, ah, Jesus Christ, I keep going on with these coaches. They would do that. Like they're going to, you better pay me every penny or I ain't signing with you for him to sign right now, a week before the season starts. And don't get me wrong. He's very well compensated, but I feel like maybe he could have even got him more potentially, or this could have been an issue. And he won. You said it. He wants to be here, man. He wanted to get paid. He wanted that generational wealth, which he got and he earned. Yeah. Yeah. And he's happy. He's Mm -hmm. happy to be a bill. And that's something that's really becoming noticeable to me is, is, you know, you talk about in your adult life here, this team, these players, for the first time, when they say how much they love Buffalo and how much they love playing there, I think they're being authentic and genuine, and I believe them. I think in the past, there, it was PR. They call it coach speak. Yeah. yeah, it was PR. It's coach speak, which basically is saying you say what you got to say on Twitter or you say what you got to say to the media. But in reality, the types of players that came to the Buffalo Bills during that 17-year drought, and frankly, it's what the organization deserves is players that either got severely overpaid, they like the Bills were willing to pay them a lot more than anyone else was ever going to pay them. Case in point, Mario Williams or Derek Dockery or Langston Walker. You know, these guys just, just got ridiculous contracts at the time. Or they were guys that came to Buffalo because no one else wanted them. They were outcasts. You know what I mean? This is where they were going to have an opportunity to play well, resume their career, and, and maybe get paid again somewhere else. You know what I mean? That was the way it was with Buffalo. Now these guys, they're good players. They want to get paid, but they're not holding the team hostage. And I feel like they genuinely want to be here. I feel like Trey White loves Buffalo. I believe Josh Allen Lenny loves Buffalo. I know Deion Dawkins loves Buffalo. Yep. I know Jordan Boyer loves Buffalo. You know, he's got his hot girlfriend living in Florida. I'm sure she probably, oh, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to put words in her mouth. That's not fair. But, you know, I'm sure she, in some ways, wouldn't mind if he, was living, yeah. Be, yeah, if he was living in Miami or he was living in LA or something and like that. And he's another you know guy that could have got more money, I think, somewhere else. Yes, I think that deal's but, another very fair deal. I think right, he doesn't right. get the media attention, maybe they does, but trust me, the NFL evaluators know what Jordan Poyer does. The the smart football people know he could have got more money to go elsewhere and, and he stayed here. Right. I agree but with I, you. I believe, right, I believe he wants to be here. And again, I don't want to misspeak here. Rachel Bush is a big Bills fan and she's always... Yeah. Talking nice about Buffalo. So I, it's, that was unfair for me. To, but you know what I'm saying. Generally yeah. speaking, these people would want to be in bigger markets. And that's not just not the case with the team. That's I really love that. Now, the guy, of course, who's putting it all together, Brandon Bean, hasn't been extended yet. Oh, I don't coming. think that's going to be an issue. Because let's put it this way, brother. If Brandon Bean walked from this team and did not get paid, whatever it is that he wants to get paid, Bill Stadium, Ralph Wilson Stadium, whatever the frick it's called right now, that shit would get burned to the ground. Yeah, no, totally. Trey White, you know, on that, he, I think he could have got more money uh, for sure. And he could have milked this out and said, you know what? I don't want to deal this year. Let me play it out. He goes and mm-hmm. gets another all pro season, which I think he's going to have multiple all pro seasons. He's only what, 25 years old. I think he's going to have a, a plenty of all pro seasons. If he gets back to back all pro seasons, man, that value just skyrockets. It, yeah. it would be unbelievable, unattainable 
for the Buffalo Bills. So I think getting it done was fantastic and does show he wants to be here. And if you want to know what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are looking for in players, I urge everyone to go over to the Game Pass. They have those sections where they do the film breakdowns with players. It's uh, Kurt Warner and Brian Baldinger. There's one with Trey White. If you have not watched it yet, go watch it and watch how his eyes light up when he's talking about football, the passion. This guy is a football player in and out. And when he talks about his coaches and the the stuff that they do, you can see the excitement. He knows part of his success is where he is and the guys he's playing with and the system that he's playing in and that he can really succeed at a great level here. So I think that all played into it uh, for Trey White. So uh, super happy for him. And yeah, with the Brandon Bean extension, man, it's coming, I think. I have a lot of problems with PSC and the Pagulas and some of the stuff they've done with both the Sabres and the, and even, you know, the bills, not really, but I've had some problems with them. I think the best thing they've ever done is Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And I, I think they know that I think Brandon Bean knows that they came in with a plan for 2020. Brandon Bean will get his extension. I think he wants to get some of this stuff done before he gets paid. I think, Terry's probably itching to get him extended because it's good publicity for the bills. And I'm sure Terry wants, they know that deal is out there. And I think that Brandon Bean is saying, Hey, let me get, I got a plan. Let me get this plan in place. And then we'll take care of that. I don't think he's worried at all. He knows that money's coming his way. And he and Sean McDermott, I think it's going to line up just the same as Sean McDermott's extension. And they're going to stay here and, and, and continue this mission and make a real run at it over the next few years. Well, let's put it this way, man. If you were to take it, uh, an approval rating poll right now of whole thousand people, I'd say 90% of people would approve the job rating that Brandon Bean's done and the other 10% are just complete idiots. I mean, there's no other thing to say about that. I guess the only thing left for the Bills right now is got to play the games because yeah. for a second straight year, you know, going in the last year was completely different. I, I felt like the team lacked talent, you know, and they addressed that in 2019. Got a lot of talent on this roster. This year, they got the number one receiver in a trade. They lost Jordan Phillips. They lost Shaq Lawson. and they went out and many will argue even upgraded the defensive line. At worst, they adequately replaced them. Pretty solid draft. They extended Trey White. They extended Jordan Poyer. They extended Deion Dawkins. They got their head coach locked up. This realistically to me, and you know, COVID is obviously, look, life, human life is way more important than the sport of football. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not saying that anything otherwise, but there were some players, some teams that lost some significant players. The Bills lost one starter to COVID. It could have been Trey White. who almost was two. You know what I mean? But one, they lost one starter who opted out and didn't EJ Gaines as well. It could have been, I don't think you could realistically have hoped for a better off season than the Bills have had right now. And again, it's now it's just a matter of playing the games. Cause I think things went as good as it can get for Buffalo realistically anyway. These last handful of months. Yeah, even, I hate to say, start opting out, I think was a benefit to the 2020 Buffalo Bills as, as crazy Could be as that if Trent sounds. Murphy plays well. What's that? Because I agree, I agree with you about Trent Murphy. I, I think if Star does not opt out, I think there's a much better t- chance that Trent Murphy gets cut because of the money. So if Trent Murphy ends up being a producer this year, in a way, yeah. Yeah. That's my, anyway. Yeah, I, this is going to sound terrible because you're right. The human element, I'm not, I'm taking, personally, I'm taking this pandemic very seriously in my own life mm-hmm. i'm not taking it I, I believe in it i'm not taking it for anything but the fan in me from the second this happened i was looking at 
September as a countdown and all the things happening. And because I know, and I knew then when it all started, how good the 2020 bills were going to be. I've been talking about this for three years now on our podcast about it's all about 2020. Like they're good. We're going to have a good team. That's our year where we really start to kick it off. And who knows? I'm not saying there'll be a Super Bowl team, but that's going to be a really great team. And here we are. And they are, they have a very on paper, at least no injuries going into week one. This is a good looking football team that I think can play against any, I can think they can go up against the Ravens. I'm not saying they're going to beat them, but they, they're going to compete with every single, the Chiefs. I think they can go up and play against the Chiefs. They're not at that tier of elite yet, but I think they're knocking on the door. And I saw all the COVID stuff happening and I, God, please let football play out because this is just the luck of a Bills fan to suffer for all these years. I know football's yeah. not that important, but to suffer for all these years and then you find that you're right there on the cusp of having a great team and boom, it could disappear like nothing. And you know, sports world doesn't wait, man. If you miss that one year to really put something together and make a run, that could be it. That's it. Yeah. You know, you don't get that same team back ever again. Uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful that we're getting a little bit of a return to normalcy here with football coming back. And even more thankful that this team, is, it's gonna, it could be a really fun year, man. I, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, I was... Same deal here, man. I was afraid too. And I was like, always thinking in my mind, that would be like the most Buffalo thing ever yeah. to finally have a, a legitimate contender. And then the season doesn't end up happening. Now, what about quickly here? Players are being mandated to wear masks on the sidelines, but only in Buffalo and Frisco. Do you even have a take on that? Does it matter to you? The the sideline, the mask one isn't again to me. I'm struggling with the fans um, and the league. I, I'm not a guy that loves uh, any type of organization or entity telling everybody what to do. Um, I'm struggling that states that are doing things the way they're doing is penalizing certain teams and not penalizing others. I I'd like to see that a little bit more fair. I don't have an answer for how you work that out because if you tell teams in Florida, they can't have fans. That's not fair to them either because their state does allow it. That That's the one that bothers me more. The masks doesn't really bother me either way. I think that's probably easy for guys on the sideline. They got those, you know, the team that come around your neck and wrap up. I think, They'll be fine there. Um, it's a little weird to me that some of the other states surrounding New York aren't uh, having that mandate too, because they all seem to be kind of on the same page with everything COVID related. So I was surprised we didn't see more of the teams of Pennsylvania and New England uh, and, and uh, the New Jersey teams as well, having those mandates on. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's fine. I think the bills will probably sell a lot of masks uh, with the, some of the official team masks. I think they'll sell a lot more than probably other teams will. A uh, couple quick things and I'll get you out of here. So Josh Rosen got cut by Miami. Yeah. He went unclaimed on waivers and signed uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, mm-hmm. Francis God, which, you know, I want to say the, the only thing I like about that is this is the first time in three years where he got to pick a situation that might fit him mm-hmm. the best. I don't know what other teams out there were interested. I would assume that there was at least a handful of teams, at least for practice squad purposes, that were interested in them. But man, I'll tell you, three teams now in three years, a top 10 pick. I, I I wonder what it is about him that so many people missed on because, I mean, I'm just speaking from a Buffalo perspective. I remember very well how many Josh Allen versus Josh Rosen debates there were. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I probably said it on this podcast too. that I, I was a huge Rosen fan yeah. in my evaluation. I, I'm not, I don't claim to be an evaluator. I liked him a lot. 
I wanted him in Buffalo. I, I love Josh Allen. Now I didn't love Josh Allen as a, a prospect. I do love him. Now I'm happy with the direction we took. I'm not looking for Josh Rosen. He is a has, very, he been, has he been unlucky? Is it just ah, dude? He's a polarizing guy because I think there's a lot of people, especially probably in Buffalo Twitter, where there's people that didn't want him, and now they're going to tell everybody how much of a failure he is and how stupid your take was for liking him, um, and not really look at any of the context. There's a lot of context to unwrap here with Josh Rosen. Seven offensive coordinators, I think he's been through here in three years. He went to a team that fired their head coach that drafted him and didn't want him at all. I don't think it was necessarily that he was bad. He had some good tape in that first year. That was a bad, that was equally as bad as Josh Allen's first year uh, roster that the Arizona Cardinals had. And he played better than Josh Allen did as far as just pure passing quarterback in that first year. It wasn't good. They were still the two worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but he was right there on par. Uh, And then he, gets traded, doesn't get to pick the position he's going in. It was a little dysfunctional in Miami. Uh, Probably a tough place for a young guy who's got a a little bit of a dent in his ego from that to go into. Fitz kills starting jobs. That is what he's done his whole career is take starting jobs away from people. He did it to Jameis Winston, another guy. You know, he that is just what Fitz does. He comes into your building and he takes the starting job and then he's mediocre. (laughs) he takes it it away and he's just good enough to keep a a guy out from starting i still i really do think i might have missed on josh rose but i think he's one of these guys in a few years you're gonna hear about as like comes out of nowhere he gets us you know gets an opportunity to get back on the field at some point and he's a pretty good quarterback i think he can be a pretty good nfl quarterback still um i think people take the pro ready when they talk about a prospect that's pro ready, I think they take that the wrong way. I don't pro ready. Doesn't mean you can go on to any NFL team and be successful. I think it just means that this guy in the right situation can come in and, and know the pro game. And he speaks the pro language and he's used to running a pro offense. It doesn't mean that he's going to go to the worst team and just be a good quarterback because he's ready for the pro. So I think he was a polarizing prospect coming out. He's probably not as bad as people think. Cause he's getting tossed around. He, he's probably been in the worst situation that I can think of for a first round quarterback that I could, I can't think back to a weirder, worse start to a career than Josh Rosen's had. Yeah. Well, we don't know where his career is going, but we do know where Deshaun Watson's career Ooh. is going. Your boy just got money yeah. Four years, 160 million. I think 111 guaranteed 39 annual average, new highest paid uh, per average. Anyway, annual average player in the league. Uh, thoughts on that. I mean, much deserved. You got you. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, he's, he is, an injury risk. Sure. He does get banged up and hurt, but man, you got to, you got to get, you got to sign that guy. You can't let DeAndre Hopkins go and then not, uh, give Deshaun a very big bag. The only, for that. I feel bad for him. Cause I just don't know what the Texans are doing. I don't follow him super close. Um, but does not seem like there is the right people in charge and a plan in place for the talent that this kid has. I wish, Ryan Pace wasn't an idiot and that the bears drafted Deshaun Watson, because with that defense and some of the weapons that they do have, you put Deshaun Watson in there, man. And that's a team that's a legitimate team. I don't know if the Texan, I think the Texans can be a playoff. I think he can will them to being a competitive team, being a playoff team, but I don't know how they're going to build that roster to put stuff around them. They haven't done it yet. They haven't done it to this point and they let the biggest weapon that he had go. I don't love it, but good for him. He's at least if they're not going to be the best team in the world and, and you know, they're not going to be necessarily competing for a Super Bowl, 
the guy got money to stay there and get beat up for four more years, you know? Uh, so good for him. I hope they put some stuff around. Though. I hope the money leaves them. I, I, I want to see this guy succeed. I would love to see battles between him, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes and, and good teams in the AFC battling it out. At the, that's fun to me. Yeah. All right. Last question here and I'm going to get you out. So sports are back. Obviously I'm sure to some extent, anyway, you've been watching, you know, COVID shut everything down. It's coming back now. How authentic does it feel to you with, with no fans and the piped in crowd noise and the, the virtual screens where fans are? I mean, I know you don't really care about much about baseball anyway. That's kind of been all over the place of all the sports. That's been the worst with guys getting COVID teams, getting COVID, having to get that shut down here and there, some teams, but, uh, Hockey's been good during the conference semis. Again, I'm not much of a hockey guy. No, I know you like NBA like I do. That's back. Uh, The Bucs are down three to one as we tape this. Uh, The Lakers are about to, again, we're late into the night. I'm going to, they're up eight with 33 seconds. So I'm going to say the Lakers and Houston are tied now at one, one. But anyways, it's, it's, to me, it's been exciting. We've had, we've had a major in golf, uh, some MMA stuff, which I really don't give a shit about that. But anyway, uh, has it mattered to you with no fans? Have you been able to enjoy it? Has it been something that bothers you with the fake fan noise or the, or the virtual screens with fans? What's uh what's been your take on sports with no fans? Well, so primarily I've watched and not as much as I'd like to, because I just don't stay up late enough for a lot of the basketball stuff, but primarily I've watched basketball only so far. And I think basketball is one of the few sports where this situation really actually works out totally fine. I think I, I love I'm a big fan of Adam Silver, uh, first and foremost. And I think they did a great job of getting all the teams in a bubble, dealing with this, getting the testing, get it, working this out because it's billions of dollars on the table uh, for the NBA to be able to get the playoffs up and rolling. Um, so kudos to them for for making that happen. Um, and the product's been pretty good, I think. I, I don't love some of the aspects of playoff basketball that I love is when a team's down 2-0 and you go to another team's court and you deal with their crowd and that changes mm-hmm. series. And it's always been one of those things that I love where you just, you have momentum in a series and then the other team takes it back with their home court advantage. And I, I just love that. So you definitely lose some of that. I saw one of the game winning shots, uh, the, the Raptor Celtics game uh, and that game winning shot. And it was great, but it felt like it fell a little flat without the fans and panning to the fans. And that was probably the first time I realized like, God dang, I miss like that moment would have been so much greater if the stadium erupts, you know, when he hits that shot and that's the part kind of the first time I missed it. And football is going to be a different animal, man. I I have some concerns about an empty uh, bill stadium uh, and football players playing full speed in an empty stadium. I think it's going to be, it's probably the most difficult sports of all the sports that have come back to not play in front of spectators. And that worries me a little bit about how the product's going to be, what it's going to do to the player's mentality. I have some concerns uh, for football. And so it'll be interesting. I think this is the last part of the experiment of sports without fans and probably the most difficult. Well, the good news is, is that we are less than a week away from finding out how weird it's going to be. When it comes to the NFL, I actually starting Thursday night when Kansas City and Houston open up the season. Good stuff, man. Good to have you back on the pod. I almost, by habit, told people to go follow you on Twitter. Ah. That's what I always do at the end. I'm like, all right, follow it's Aaron not Quinn there anymore, Twitter, man. Aaron Quinn, 716. Nah, don't do it. Um, maybe 
Hit him up on Facebook and he'll decide if he Facebook, wants to be your friend Instagram, or not. Instagram, <laughs> I'm out there. If you really want to get in touch with me, uh, the Slack channel, the the Cover One Slack channel, right. where it's a fantastic group of people. That's a group I love. We do get into some arguments and, and challenge each other's opinions, but there's really no toxic uh, level to that. And it's just good Bill's talk. But really, mostly you can find me. We do the live show every Wednesday, uh, the pre matchup show. We're doing it uh, here this Wednesday, talking Jets. That goes out live to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We're in the chat. We're answering questions. It's all live. And then we do post game. So you can find me there and interacting with me there. And if there's anybody that, you know, I left on Twitter that has a bad taste in their mouth from experiences, man, I'm sorry about it. Uh, I do sincerely feel bad for some of that stuff. But you can come cuss me out on any of those networks and uh, let me know how I made you feel. (laughs) Good to have you back, my man. Hey, good to be back, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. Big thank you again, Aaron Quinn, Cover One Buffalo Podcast. Great to reconnect with Aaron. Been too long. I'm sure I'll have him back on a little more regularly during the season. Like I said, I know he's busy doing two shows a week with Greg. They do great work, but uh, always good to have Aaron on. Just want to thank you all so much for listening. I say it all the time. There's a million and one podcasts out there. So when you take 60, 90 minutes of your time and you lock into this one, it's not something that... uh. I take lightly. I'm very grateful, very appreciative. Have a good, safe rest of the week. Be back. Brand new show on Friday.